Welcome to episode 234 of the Win 6 podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me as usual, it's Jordan Tresky. Hello, Jordan. Hello. Jordan, we're here to talk Summer League, like we promised the people. Um, as tempting as it may have been, I, I wasn't going to break that promise. Are you enjoying it? Are you sticking by all of the things you've said all year? About this is what you live for. This is, you know, this is your thing. Summer League basketball. How's it been for you so far? I've found it enjoyable. I People are going to complain. Oh, look at the Summer League. It's Summer League basketball. There's going to be turnovers, all this stuff. It's not It's not the real thing. I don't care. It's July. I have a care in the world. I'm wearing a straw hat. Got a little, <laughs> I don't know, a breezy shirt. No, I don't. I, I don't breezy shirts but you've got a little paper umbrella in your smoothie yes yes and it's tilted 45 degrees just in the cup not uh firm but it's in the cup i'm really (laughs) the books are one and two heading into tournament play and we're recording this on tuesday just as games are really getting underway in vegas and I don't know, by the time you listen to this, you might have an the idea. The haves and the have-nots are sorting out. They are. But the time you listen to it, you might have an idea of who the books are playing. For scheduling reasons, we couldn't wait until then. And we wanted this to be there for all of you so that before that game, before the business end of Summer League, if such a thing exists, you'd be fully up to date. You'd have given some real meaningful thought to how the books had performed so far, how the individuals had fared. And you would be all ready to, you know, bring things up a notch to really dial in, get amped up for tournament play in Summer League. I think overall they've played well. I think that's that's what I'll start with. They could easily have been Trino. You know, or they could easily have stolen one of the two games they lost. They've been in really close games with the exception of their win because the Pistons were just unbelievably bad. And um, that may even have been one of the book's worst performances in a lot of ways. I would say that was their worst. I, I think so. And they won by 27 points, which just speaks volumes about the Pistons. But overall, I've the optimism I've had about how they would play and perhaps their chances in the tournament it's kind of held up and that hasn't meant that they haven't done some interesting things and they haven't really leaned on the players we'd like to see de- developed because they absolutely have 
um, Sterling, DJ have been given a lot to do, a lot of mm-hmm. different things to do. They've been given an opportunity to learn, to to put them in situations they're not going to get a chance to all that often in the NBA. It could be a situation where one day they'll find themselves in having to make something and this may be the preparation to get them to that point. But yeah, overall, I'm I'm encouraged in spite of their record going into tournament play. Do you feel the same? Is there still a chance they could win a couple of games once the tournament gets going? I think it's possible. I mean, they lost the both of their losses were a combined ten points, right? Three to the Mavericks, seven to the Nuggets. Yeah, and the seven to the Nuggets was even a little generous because that all came in a late run to give the seven point margin. It could easily have been a three point margin as well. Yeah. Um yeah, I think honestly I know this it's again, as much as I enjoy Summer League, I am very I don't I don't know. I feel like it last year was like a real everybody there was a gravity to it. There was like a circus around it. Maybe that was like the whole <laughs> the Lonzo ball thing, because I think a lot of it just became like, you know, that angle of Summer League. But anyway. Um I would say past summer leagues, the Bucks have looked incompetent, like even more. Like it was like like Pistons incompetent because I I you know from what I've seen from other teams, which is is minimal at best. Pistons are not. <laughs> I would say they they are probably one of the worst summer league teams there. Um, they have was the a worst, very the worst differential of any team with a win. We can say that much. That sounds Milwaukee Bucks summer league basketball to me. Uh, from past years compared to this year where, you know, uh, there's been, obviously Don, Dante not playing in any of the games yet. And uh, I mean, I would assume that he probably won't play in summer league at all, which is the right thing to do concerning his injury. Um, you know, it's basically been guys like Sterling Brown, DJ Wilson, Christian Wood, and then a little bit of Travis Trice, a little bit of Jordan Barnett. Like it's just kind of like this main hub of people that are kind of, powering the bucks throughout summer league and it you would think when it's you're getting you know just that kind of nucleus of contributions you would think that oh no like here we go <laughs> kind of like these terrible results but the bucks have been in every game even when they haven't been you know at their best i mean they've found ways to you know claw and scratch their way back into game so i mean i would just say it looks competent and plus too like there's there is a sense of maybe you know early sen- I, I don't know adjustments or schemes that we're seeing already that are a modern look i would say with the i don't know i'm just putting it out there, I, don't, out there. I, I disagree i disagree I, I think any any talk of schemes is just nonsense in summer league i mean let's preface this podcast with this is going to be 99 nonsense this is like almost basketball i mean it's quasi quasi basketball i don't know it's sort of related to basketball i i will say i will say though i I think after after watching the herd this year there isn't i don't i don't know if you're you're saying it's similar i disagree i'm not saying it's similar but i think when when bad games go bad and i mean you know oh yeah yeah but there's those trends and the, there's even been third quarter trends in the last couple of games with the books at Summer League that are very reminiscent of the herd. But I mean, it's not when we talk about like this being pretty, pretty, being really bad basketball a lot of the time. That isn't on the players. That's not on the no. players' ability. That's 
what happens if you give guys like four days to get together to try and figure out what back they games. are going to do, who they are, put them in situations like back-to-backs, which a lot of them just aren't really familiar with. And yeah, you put all of that there and it's a, and on top of that, you've got incredible pressure that you don't necessarily have game to game in any other environment. So with all of that, you know, there's a lot of factors that come into making it not quite as good as as a lot of other a lot of other play. If they had a full season, you know, if this summer league team were together for a full season, they could probably be a perfectly serviceable G League team. I don't I think that that element of it's fair, but the big difference is just like there's only so much you can expect of a team that aren't really getting any meaningful time to work together. You're talking about a few days together. Like teammates don't know what each other are good at. They don't know you know, necessarily who's going to move where, who likes the ball at what kind of spot. You know, all of these things are issues they're kind of having to iron out on the fly. And that, that makes it pretty challenging. I mean, looking at the standings here, the books are, they're going to be right in the kind of middle of the order. They're going to be very much average from the time the seedings shake out. So they're going to play a team that aren't necessarily all that, you know, threatening of looking at the, the differentials of teams and obviously this has been boosted by the big win over the pistons but it also comes from always being there in the games they've lost i mean they're better than any other team that doesn't have more than that doesn't have at least two wins and they're better than many of the teams with two wins so i think it's it's fair to say they've been a little unlucky they're probably a little bit better than they've looked so far but they have had some uh pretty inconveniently timed lapses where things go horribly wrong on both ends which have which have led to the results not necessarily going their way it's not just all bad luck they've kind of created that bad luck for themselves at times mm-hmm. let's let's go through the games we'll talk through the three games a little bit individually and then we'll move on to some of the players and we'll start out with that win over the pistons i mean it wasn't exactly the most enticing opener for summer league play it wasn't for someone like me, who's a little bit, little bit skeptical when summer league rolls around, that first quarter in particular was not something that was going to win you over. Um, the books played pretty well after that. The first quarter was just really, really poor. I mean, the standout elements for me from that game, um, obviously Christian Wood was the star for the books, one of the early stars of summer league generally. Twenty-three points, eleven rebounds, four blocks, and really efficient with his shooting just kind of found ways to impose his will on the game and take over and spells later on i also thought it went a little bit under discussed because of christian wood i thought dj wilson was great in that game with what he was what he was showing on both ends of the floor i mean his plus minus for that game box box score plus minus is very noisy okay he was a plus 29 though Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is Comfortably team high, comfortably game high. And that went with a 17 points, five rebounds, four, four steals. And he shot six of 11 from the field. I was impressed overall with what the books put together, although it started very, very ugly. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was, what was it, 14 to eight after the first quarter, right? Yep. Something like that. Um, yeah. The first quarter was pretty ugly. But outside of that, I mean, Bucks were very solid to respectable christian wood was a standout dj wilson i would say looked the most spry and engaged of consistently i should say of of 
the three games so far. Um, Sterling was right there with him, obviously. Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, they <laughs> it was a summer league dismantling. Um, I would go as as far as to say that. Yeah, and I mean, well, the other elements of that game that was noteworthy. I mean, they shot the ball really poorly, but they only had 12 turnovers, which by summer league standards, that's like having three turnovers in an NBA game. I mean, that's that's really, really solid and impressive. So it was pretty tidy after an ugly start. Um, I, I think this game, it feels like it was a long time ago now because we have seen the one element, I think, of coaching that's worth talking about from summer league is just the clear focus that you can see is kind of given to the players and what they're trying to see out of it. It's not about let's run an offense this way. Let's construct our defense that way. You know, that's just, you don't have any opportunity to really do that, but what you can do is say, okay, for example, Sterling, we want you to be really aggressive and we want you to initiate and do a lot of our playmaking. We've seen those kind of trends build from this game. This was very much a feeling out process and with that, with that in mind, I think it was interesting that Christian Wood came to the fore in that game in particular, because this was the this was the game where they weren't necessarily playing it to any particular player. I mean, DJ Wilson played a little bit more. I think was given a lot of freedom, but it was kind of just go out and play. And when that was the focus, Wood really excelled. I think in the time since, there's probably a bit of a directive to go to go to Sterling to go to DJ a little bit more and hey, we're not going to complain about that, but I think with a chance to go out and get your own numbers, Christian Wood really impressed. And it is funny how quickly all of this changes. I, even though he was great in that game, I thought it was ludicrous, just the sheer volume of noise on social media from all sorts of books fans and smart books people on Twitter who were like, they've got to, they've got to lock Christian Wood down. You know, one game, 23 points, 11 rebounds, four blocks. They've got to find a way. Get it, give him a two-way, do whatever. You've got to get him. And then, then not the next day. Was it the next day? Two days. Two days later, Brooke Lopez was signed. And yeah, <laughs> uh, coincidentally or not, that night Christian Wood didn't quite look the same. Maybe he came in somewhere thinking there's a real chance here. If I, if I play well, maybe this is a franchise I could get in and earn a shot with. Let's move it on. Uh, second game. Close, close, hard-fought game. They lost 81-78 to the Mavericks. A couple of breaks, a couple of possessions late on that you know, they're just a little bit better on, and a couple of spells throughout the game where you know control was the real thing, and I think it's the main thing we've seen them struggle with in Summer League, just composure, just knowing when to slow things down, what pass to make, what pass not to make. Part of that probably comes from they don't have a truly kind of elite natural guard and particularly a playmaking guard i don't think it's just being a case of you know let's let's have a look at what sterling could do or let's help improve sterling in that regard as much as they feel eh, we don't really have a whole lot of other options because even the other guards like travis trice has been really good for them he's a scoring guard and you want him off the ball more than on it so i i I feel that's kind of being a little bit by necessity as well as something they would obviously like to add um, but it was very much evident in that game. They finished with 17 turnovers. Sterling racked up five of his own. It was a pretty well-rounded effort, though. I mean, Travis Trice was exceptional. He had 16 points and 7 to 10 shooting, and he was big late on as they tried to get back into it. 
had a really great steal and a circus layup that closed it to. I think it was three, two. I was going to say four, but it was it was right in that one to two possession range for sure. Um, Sterling Brown did have 14 points of his own, although very inefficiently in that game. He also added seven rebounds to go with it. And um, Jordan Barnett, five of nine from the field, three of five from deep, 13 points. Very, very impressive with the shooting in that one. And Christian Wood, much quieter, but still came up with a double-double. 10 points, 10 rebounds, three blocks in there as well. Um, I'm a much less eventful game for DJ Wilson, but I felt like he wasn't pushing quite as hard I didn't think his performance in that game was as bad as a lot of people seem to feel. He was kind of contributing across the floor and doing a lot of small things well. His final line was 7.7 rebounds, 4 assists, 2 steals, which is pretty productive and solid all around. I thought they did very well here, and there were some telling moments like Dennis Smith Jr., his passing just... I mean, that's where it really shows of someone who's at a completely different level to everyone on the court. And I think at the end, the books were missing a player like that. Um, Jonathan Motley was also really dominant inside, and I think that was part yeah, of the factor. Right, in slowing, slowing Wood down and not having him contribute the same level he'd done the game before. That was a big part of that. But then again, Motley is someone who's had, you know, he had meaningful experience between he was on a two-way last year, right? So he did have some time with the Mavs. He certainly starred for the Texas Legends. So that was maybe part of the difference. I mean, Luka Doncic didn't play. Um, Costas didn't even play in that one. But between guys like Dennis Smith Jr., Dorian Finney-Smith, and Motley, it was kind of telling maybe just the, the top-end talent difference overall. And the books did quite well to be right there. They could have They could have got away with it. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, a lot of it came down to Sterling Brown's worst quarter was that fourth one of any several of the games so far. I mean, he just couldn't find the bottom of the net and was kind of, you know, even when he's been tasked with kind of creating more offense, um, you know, as a lead ball handler, you know, it hasn't looked as natural for him in any of the games, but there have been some moments where, you know, he, he looks relatively fine as a passer. But that fourth quarter was just rough to kind of just see him constantly get to like the rim, but just it, for whatever reason, just not enough touch or, you know, not enough accuracy, whatever you want to call it. Um, to DJ Wilson, I mean, I don't think he's really, obviously that was his more, the, the most quiet that he was throughout summer league, but I wouldn't say he's been outright bad in any of the games. I just think he's kind of, he's such a weird player to watch. And maybe, you know, a lot of it is, we don't have much on the book of DJ Wilson. We talked about this heading into summer league with our summer league preview. Um, as far as like NBA level basketball, we don't have any, we only have 71, 72 minutes of DJ Wilson on the board. And then combine that with his G league minutes. There's just not much to work with there. And you could tell that he's kind of, a lot of it is just mental stuff that you can tell, you could tell when he's not as engaged as he was before, or even a little more hesitant to, you know, kind of launch from three point, uh, three-point land um, but I, I don't think he's been outright bad I, I mean I just think he's been I think it's better to kind of uh, maybe not it's a different like it's a different struggle than like Rashad Vaughn kind of constantly chucking his way through and maybe not <laughs> hitting at the like in a, at a efficient clip or anything like that I think 
DJ Wilson has had promising moments on both ends of the floor. It just hasn't been a comprehensive performance like that. Like I, I unlike the Friday. I'll hold off on this because we will talk about guys individually a little bit more later. But I don't think he's struggled at all. I think he's been really good. I've actually been really encouraged by what DJ Wilson has shown. And I again, maybe this in part goes back to people just aren't sure what they're looking for from him. He is he is not a player with a skill set that makes it really easy for him to just take over a game and really kind of be a, a dominant player who is doing everything you see. He's a guy who I think if he pans out is going to be a really good versatile role player who can make a lot of smart and impactful plays around the fringes of a game. And I, I think he's been doing a lot of that really well. I think physically he looks a lot better than he did last year. I think he's been holding up pretty well in that regard too. There is just that little bit extra strength up top. He is a guy when you look at him still, because you can see he's put a lot of work into his frame, and yet he still looks pretty slender. I think that's naturally the way he is. You're going to have a degree of him looking a bit undersized. I don't think he's playing quite as undersized, though, as he did 12 months ago. He certainly looks like he's added a little bit more. He looks more confident. I, I think he's a lot of good stuff, but we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a little while. Not too long. We've only got one more game to talk about before we move on to individuals. Um, lastly, on Monday night, the Nuggets. This was a game where at a couple of times it looked like the books could have gone and taken control of. Then it looked like they'd completely lost it. And yet they came back with a pretty strong run we'll say the middle section to the to the i don't know was it say seven minutes to two and a half minutes of the fourth like quarter seven two minutes of the fourth quarter something something like that and then just as it got all the way back they kind of went missing at the all-important time um but this was again a pretty good team they were coming up against much like the much like the mavericks um although there isn't even a Dennis Smith Jr. equivalent here. They were missing their their draft pick from this year in Michael Porter Jr. wasn't there. But they have guys who've been kind of in around the league a couple of years. They have guys who are looking to prove things for different reasons too. Um, Vlako Kanchar, I was really impressed with him. And I'm, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if I'm not sure how where the Nuggets are at in terms of roster spots. He seems like a guy, if his buyout's kind of good, though, that you wouldn't mind having over sooner rather than later. Um, and the way Tim Connolly was talking about him on the broadcast as well led me to believe that might be something they're considering. Monte Morris just looks like a guy who is developing really nicely, was already a pretty polished and steady player coming into the league for the, for the place he was drafted at. And, I mean, he just controlled the game for them throughout. Um that element of the control was again missing from the books. They don't have a guard like that. Maybe Dante could be that guard if he was to play, but we're you know we're still waiting on that front. Um, for the books, I mean, this is the Sterling Brown game, and particularly late on, you know, I there's something about Sterling Brown's play that is me a little underwhelmed i know some of the things that i don't like about his game have been present for me over the last week even when he's had put up good numbers and generally look good i think his inefficiencies with his three-point shot there's something there with decision making that isn't great and that's we've only seen that further with the ball in his hands when he's trying to force things I, there's something there that just doesn't quite work when you ask him to a little bit more 
Now, there's nothing wrong with asking him to do that in summer league, and you should in the hope of kind of improving in that area. But there is there's something that just hasn't sat right with me. But final stretch in that game, what I would say he had a really, really brilliant pass for TJ Klein, yeah. where he read the defense perfectly. He anticipated what Klein was going to do, and Klein was way behind the play when that started. I'm not even fully sure of how aware of that Brown was at that point, as much as just as soon as he saw him in his peripheral vision, he let the pass go. And that led to a pretty important basket for the books at that time. And he also had, I think who it was up against. I think it was Kancher. He had a, a kind of an isolation play where it looked like it was bogged down and they really need to score, and this was just going to be Sterling dribbling, not getting a whole lot of space, and nothing was going to happen. And then he knocked down a really tough mid-ranger over his defender's head, and that was kind of like, whoa, okay. Uh, that's that's maybe some of the confidence that comes in giving him more to do, and probably as well in bouncing back from a really ugly finish the night before and proving to himself, proving to the team that, hey, I can do this. And his... His quotes, um, Matt Flesk's the Journal Sentinel relayed them after that Mavericks game. I thought were really interesting and really mature when he focused in on, you know, I want to be in this situation. I'm grateful for the chance of having that trust, being able to make those plays, make those mistakes and learn from them. And I want to show my coaches, I want to show the front office that I can do that. I think he did with the way he bounced back. And outside of him, I thought DJ was really, really solid on that game played the most minutes he's played as it's sterling they've both kind of ramped up in that regard and was just really steady and solid throughout christian wood was good again the problem was they didn't get a whole lot else and that's where you know the seven points they're ultimately short comes from where the nuggets had four guys in double digits and another couple like three guys maybe in the seven to eight point range you had kind of three big contributions and then not a lot beyond that for the books yeah, I, I mean, what more can you say about Sterling's game? He was pretty, I mean, outside of like the turnovers, again, I think it was four turnovers at the other yeah. night. He was pretty, you know, terrific throughout. And I think <clears throat> to go back to that quote that he was talking about, like, it's kind of, we knew, I mean, we've seen this with, you know, it's three assignments with the herd and it's, you know, G League level basketball, but we've seen him play or take on a uh, on a more high usage role, and it has suited him. Maybe it, you know he hasn't shot the lights out from three, basically you know in his brief time in, you know in the NBA and the G League. But Sterling's been very confident with the ball in his hands, scoring where you know he's pulling up from mid range, he's getting to the rack and converting at a you know solid to high rate. Um, I mean, there's just a lot to like about what he can do with the ball in his hands. And, you know, I think going back to like the three point shot, like his inefficiency, a lot of it is just not, I feel like he's more of just a catch and shoot guy where I think specifically Monday night, we saw him pull up from three and you want to see that dimension to his game, but it's just not there to, you know, a, a capable level at that point. Um, but other than that, I mean, he was, he was, <laughs> he was the, the guy that, you know, took, took the the deer the antlers by the horns or whatever i don't know. i forget how to 
I took the antlers by the I we've you know, I've done that joke before. You normally take the animal by the horns because it's bull by the horns. So you take the deer by the antlers. I don't right, know. but that would be his own team. He was that could work. Was he grabbing his that's own the team? Joke. That's his the back? joke. Okay. Well, I mean, it it would be a joke if you got the words in the right order to begin with. You no, know, sometimes it can be a joke because of how bad it is. That's that's well, what I go for. If, if you spin it that way, Jordan, you've got a pretty high success rate on your jokes. <laughs> Let's kind of pivot into that more individual focus and let's stay with Sterling. Is it safe to say from what we've seen here, in spite of him looking good and being able to contribute and offer something throughout all of last season, when he did have those spells of not really playing a whole lot for the books, should they have sent him to the G League more often? Should he have been with the herd a little bit more to have the chance to kind of do what he's doing here, even if just from a confidence perspective, is that something that maybe they just didn't really utilize, where if you weren't going to make him a night-in, night-out piece of your rotation, that they could have given him a little bit more run, a little bit more minutes, just build everything up, and maybe even advance some of his skills a little bit sooner as well, because I don't know, that is the thing when we when we get to summer league and we look at Sterling who, okay, was far from mystery and had done really good things at the NBA level with the books and spells last season. But then you've got DJ as well. You've got two guys who are at different places, but both still in need of polish, both still in need of development and more than anything in need of reps that it's at the point where we're talking about the opportunity summer league gives them to play. Well, the books had their own G League franchise that was just up the road. You know, is that something that at this point we can look back on that they didn't really utilize those guys well? I know it's I know it's complicated and we talked about during the season because even if you're not gonna play Sterling, um and with DJ, I think this was more a case of anything where they just didn't plan on playing DJ because he wasn't ready. But at the same time, with what happened with Mirza, they had no forward depth. And if anyone got injured, they would have been in a position where they needed DJ. So he was almost always there just as a contingency. But does that do anything? Is Does that actually damage their development as opposed to giving them run in the G League like they're now getting with the Summer League team? Well, I don't think it just applies to Sterling. I think it applies to DJ. I think it applies their, to their all their two-way players. I mean, that was what that was what was more vexing about, or one of the more vexing things about last season, you know, under Jason Kidd and Joe Parenti, is that there was just no real um, consistency, obviously, on the courts, but there wasn't consistency within the structure of how they, of rotations, of how they want to develop their more raw guys. I mean, that's what you're kind of looking for with, you have a, a, a you know, whatever you want to call it, you have some, a foundation to, to work with. Then you want to build it up with the middle end or the late, the latter end of your rosters. And, you know, throughout that, the former regime's time, I mean, that was, that wasn't really there to begin with. I mean, that's why the, the bucks have had their struggles that they're this, the middle to latter end of their roster has always been a kind of a, a revolving door of just players and stuff like that, that you have the, the top tier players that you have already that you just want more contributors outside of that. And I mean, obviously you'd want to see, and especially because Sterling, a lot of, obviously we, we've, 
talked about this at length throughout the season, but Sterling was billed as this, you know, he's ready. He's can be a ready contributor, maybe not like extensive minutes, but if you're in a pinch and considering the amount of injuries that the Bucks had to deal with last year, like there was certainly a way for Sterling to make a, an impact um, whether it was with the Bucks or the G league. And obviously he played a little more than like 750 minutes, something like that. And then had three silence with the herd. Um, I mean, certainly, because you definitely want to build up your, you want to establish a role, but you also want to build up other skills that you're showing, like say in summer league or stuff like that. Like, I mean, I think that's what I'm looking forward to with this, you know, the boon holes or eras that I think there will be a very, uh, a coherency throughout both the herd and the bucks that maybe you don't see the two way players that play as much, but there is still like the, what's reflected with the bucks is going to be reflected in the herd. And that was certainly the case with the herd and the bucks last year, but maybe not for great reasons, obviously. We'll learn a lot about the dynamic of that relationship and who's calling the shots this year. And the reason I say that is because like the Hawks last year, they used their affiliate. I'd go as far as say more than anyone. And anytime, anytime you watch a Bayhawks game, you're like, well, this isn't fair. The herd are playing against a team that have like six NBA players down here. You know, that's that's generally what it was like at times. Now, what we don't know, and we really don't, I mean, obviously the coach has a say in this, but we don't know how much of a say Jason Kidd, Joe Prunty later were having in the assignments last year, as and even the two ways as opposed to front office. We don't know where to split. Like it seems obviously like that's a discussion. But we don't know who was kind of who. But I think I, I don't think the that... Trump card in that discussion to be able to say, "Yeah, I'm making that final de- decision." Like that was something that I think it's it's easy to say, "Oh yeah, Jason Kidd just wanted guys there and he didn't use them." And then, like, where my gripe with it would be that Sterling did play quite a bit and he showed good things, but. To me, it feels a little like, say, those tree herd games where he played incredibly well. It's almost like the book saw him went, oh, he's too good for here. It's not even about that. It's it's There's a real benefit as a rookie. Get him to play as many games as possible. Get him to play close to 82 games so he fully gets acclimated to, okay, this is what an NBA season is, is about. And if he wasn't playing for the books, get him to play for the herd. Get him to feel that. Get him to work through it. Get him so that he's fully aware, prepared, and ready the next year. Now, is that because of the coach? Is it because of the front office? I don't know. There's definitely both influencing that decision, and we just don't know who was leading it. And this year will be interesting because Bud's history and his coaching staff, this is a history made up of, or this is a staff made up of guys who have been G League coaches. Uh, Taylor Jenkins is a great example. Taylor Jenkins was a head coach in the G League, he became an assistant with Bud in, and the Hawks because he was head coach of the affiliate then the Austin Toros, I believe. I hope I'm remembering this correctly. Um, in Bud's last season with the Spurs, he Bud would deal with him in terms of how things were going with the then D-League franchise. And when it came to the end of the season... He was so impressed with Jenkins that he got him to advance scouting for the Heat in the finals, the infamous 
final series where Ray Allen, of course, made the shot. That was the kind of path they came through. And there are other assistants too. Obviously, um, Josh Longstaff has just been added, who was a head coach in the G League last year. You know, you've got this really kind of obvious connections to using the minor league and guys who understand what that's about, where you would feel the coaching staff will be completely confident and they won't hesitate at all in sending guys down there. Where if it doesn't happen, then is it that the front office are? I don't know. We did. We gen, genuinely don't know the balance between that. Where John Horse comes in as general manager of the books, where Dave Dean comes in as general manager of the herd, and where the coach is having to say and how all of that balances out. And we'll learn about it this year. But I, I do get that feeling when we're watching Summer League and you're seeing DJ get to do more things, you're seeing Sterling get to do more things than being very specifically asked to do things, which obviously we can put that down to coaching and the focuses that will already likely be laid out by Bud and the staff for what they want the, that duo to improve on. But I can't help but watch it and be like, yeah, there could have been a head start on some of this if they were just given greater opportunity with the herd. And even I remember before last season um, when the herd came into existence and we were looking forward to it, you regularly used to say that you believed Ton would end up at the herd at some point. And okay, the Greg Monroe trade early in the season left them short in depth for a long time. Even when Zeller came in, they did have some injuries. But again, there were times where Tom wasn't playing where he probably could have just dealt or done with the confidence of going down there and playing well. Going down there, having a focus, maybe just having a change of scenery and having a different vibe for a few days. And they didn't do that either. And then some teams work it like that. It's almost as if it's a status thing. There needs to be kind of no stigma about being sent to the G League. And I don't think the way the books handled it last year did anything to alleviate that when you know, Sterling was only there very briefly. DJ was there and it was always an afterthought. You know, it wasn't you're going there and you're with them for 10 days and figure out whatever it is and, you know, just keep working through that and we'll bring you back then. It was like, oh, you haven't played in a week. We've just arrived home. The Herd have a game tonight. You might as well go up to Oshkosh and play. That's that's gen generally how it came across in terms of, how DJ in particular's assignments were worked with the herd last year. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I th- I th- I think it's there isn't one uh figure or you know, it wasn't evil Jason Kidd no. <laughs> at the at the mercy of this, but there was I mean, there just wasn't a consistency with the younger guys and obviously they gave I mean, the herd was the launching pad for Brennan Jennings coming back to Milwaukee. So they obviously had some investment about how they wanted to Bring these players back, but it just wasn't what I would say fruitful. It in was any focused way. all the wrong things. I, exactly. I think would be what I'd say because if the herd is being viewed as a vehicle where uh, the guys coming back from China can go to prove if they've still got anything, and when they show they haven't, then you give them an NBA contract. Yeah, that's and then, great. but like it was not even just the Jennings aspect. Obviously, we hit the whole hubbub with Gary Payton too, and then him having a couple of starts. Um, and then Joe Belomboy being up with the team for a long time and not playing with the herd and not getting any minutes. So, like, there just wasn't a, a consistency all around that really, I mean, that was just spoke to the the, the dysfunction on the court that really used dysfunction. Uh, that's, a, that's a loaded word. I know, but I'm just saying there was a, a dysfunction that really ramped up over the, over the course of the year that 
I mean, hopefully we are well past behind on the court. Um, that just, you know, that's what was so frustrating about that kind of the partnership between the herd of the bucks. Well, I, I think to be fair to them, and this is being fair as much as it won't sound like that. Um, I don't think they had any idea what they were doing with the herd as oh, in, yeah. as in the relationship <laughs> between the two. And yeah. that's, that isn't as bad as it sounds because no other franchise had any idea with two ways. Every general manager who I've heard speak about two ways comes out and says, yeah, we, we just had no idea how to handle that. We didn't, we didn't really know what we we're doing with it. Start season. Again, to bring up Tim Connolly, I actually think he mentioned something to that effect on the broadcast during the game um, where he said, you know, there are so many things with rules that we just didn't know. And we were trying to kind of learn as we went along that element certainly plays into it, but it was also the first year the books had a G League franchise. So there was a lot of new stuff there. They won't have that excuse next year. And I think they've got to use it as a better pipeline for development. And I think that's only further boosted by the fact that Herb are pretty good last year. You know, obviously things tailed off when not really anything with the roster. I mean, not really anything internally coaching wise, nothing changed other than, they were good, so other teams noticed. They started to lose better players. They did have some injuries hit as well, and it all kind of fell apart. But there was something positive in place. Jordan Brady did a good job. Um, mm-hmm. We haven't heard officially he, that he'll be their coach next year, but I would guess he will be. We have, he's with them. Right. We, I, well, the, All I was saying with that is he's someone who could easily have gone up onto the books bench, but the fact that Josh Longstaff seems to have got, well, it appears to be the final spot. And Jordan Brady is still very active in everything. He's there when you see players working out in the practice facility in Milwaukee. He's there in Vegas, obviously very central on the bench. He's someone who it seems like is going to remain a key part and be the coach. But I, I think he did a good job last year overall, particularly for a franchise in its first year and the challenges that came his way. I think you'd agree with that. And got to use that. You know, you got to really make use of that. Uh, we got sidetracked, but I think it's a worthwhile conversation having. It's an interesting conversation having, particularly when we're talking about Summer League, because not just the guys on the roster who may have got looks there last year could have done it more. There's also a chance that some of these guys could end up playing for the herd, non-rostered players at the moment. Um, and of course, James Blackman Jr. and Dupont Lewis, both of their rights are held by the herd if they end up in the G League. Um Anything else on Sterling? I mean, he isn't natural with the ball in his hands by any means, but he he has made it work. And he has kind of, over the course of the couple of games, and it is just a couple of games, so it's very encouraging to see it happen quickly. You can see his feel and his understanding, his timing improving. Turnovers are an issue. You expect that of any young player, but particularly Mm -hmm. someone who, in spite of constantly being referred to as a big guard on the broadcast, I mean, he's not a guard. He's he's a wing. A big point guard. I don't know how many times that was mentioned. That's like, you're talking about the wrong guy here. He's only got the ball in his hands, like, for less than 48 hours. It's a bit soon to be christening him as a point guard. I don't think he'll ever have to be. But did you get that same sense that he was growing into it already? And there was a little bit more understanding. Obviously his numbers showed improvement, but just general awareness I thought was very good and how he handled it. Yeah, I, I, I agree completely. I, you know, he's more natural scoring with the ball in his hands than 
distributing um, cleanly, but there was definitely moments like that climb pass that was like pitch perfect. Um, you know, another just kind of keeping the ball moving and stuff like that. That was just very promising. Um, and not even just that. I mean, he's been really active on the boards on both ends. Like he's been really going after with second effort plays. There was a couple last night that kind of came in late to really keep the Bucks in it. Um, there was one he, you know. one that he got last night actually that was really impressive where he missed the layup himself. Yep. And that second jump, which is really valuable, the second he hit the ground, he was straight back up to get his own rebound. He's not known as an athletic guy. That is a pretty difficult and high-level athletic ability, though. And oh, yeah. we, we talk a lot about Sterling as a rebounder, and he impressed in that regard the NBA last year. That was a real look at, I mean, he really could be elite for a long time as a rebounder yeah, at his position. Just that ability that not many guys can hit the ground and come straight back up to get it. You know, he has that kind of energy. No, has... We call that a chumba wumba. He got knocked <laughs> down, got back up again. Going to get that board and put it in the <laughs> Yeah, you're never going to keep him down, Jordan. Um, let's, let's, move, let's move it on to TJ Wilson. I mean, there's probably more we could have talked about, but you just killed all Sterling Brown talk with that. Excellent <laughs> reference. Tope thumping. <laughs> I've already alluded to this, but I think DJ has been pretty good. I've been impressed overall. Um, he's not the guy who's going to find an easy way to go and score 27 points and grab 12 rebounds in Summer League, and you go, whoa, look how good he is. And I think it will be a mistake to look at him not doing that as, you know, oh, he's not good or he's struggling. He's a you, – you mentioned it even earlier, but I think it's relevant in this case – because the Rashad Vaughn experience is so fresh in all of our minds, I think there's an element of measuring Vaughn and Wilson, and they're completely different players. And the 17th overall pick thing. Of course. They're completely different players asked to do completely different things, who need to do completely different things to be effective. So the fact that you know DJ Wilson doesn't look like an assertive Rashad Vaughn, which was not always all that positive, not ever really all that yeah, positive. I don't think I sort of um, Rashad Vaughn is a great thing. Even in Summer League, I'm talking currently with Summer League with that. Yeah. But there, there is, you can't ask Wilson to do that. You don't want to ask him because he's never going to have to do that. That's not how you're going to get the best out of him. And I, I think what we are seeing is some of just the kind of interesting, quirky range of skills he has. You know, I, I need to think of a better comparison than the one that's in my head because I think he's a certain type of player, but I don't want to give the, lost, the lofty comparison. I've got one. Best case for Sterling Brown is he becomes a Boris Dio kind of player. You mean DJ Wilson? Sorry, DJ Wilson. Best case for DJ Wilson for me is he becomes a Boris Dio kind of player. Now, obviously, their frames are completely different, but I'm talking about a forward that can make plays defensively and can kind of switch across different positions, defend multiple positions, can knock down the tree if he's left open, is comfortable with the ball in his hands and can be a little bit creative and pass and do things like that. I I think that is who he is. He's this kind of Swiss Army knife forward is what you hope for if he eventually gets it all to click into place. We're seeing signs of that in Summer League. Not signs that it's going to click into place, but signs of that's who he is. And it's kind of further 
hammering home to me the things that I liked about him with the herd and the things I've talked about multiple times on this podcast. But it's kind of that overall package. He's got a really weird package of skills, yeah. a, a weird mix of things. And he was never sold as this when he was drafted as well. And I think that is part of the issue. The books haven't generally done a good job of selling their draft prospects to the media, to the fans in a way that will best serve that player's abilities and that player's development journey. But I, I do think there is something interesting about Wilson as that kind of forward going forward. You know, it's not about this small ball center who's this dead eye shooter and he's just not that guy. So I can have the no. frame for that. Um, his shot is funky. I don't know. Um, <laughs> there's it's a I, catapult. It's it's like a crocodile or an alligator. Is met. We talked about this privately the other day, <laughs> but it's the top half of his body like folds inwards. The bottom half of his body folds outwards, and you'd get this kind of. It's it's like an alligator's jaw or a, origami. Right. <laughs> it's it's not all that pretty to look at but it isn't all that ineffective. He can make them. I think they may do some work with that shot. Just just a hunch that there may yeah. be some work done with that shot too. I think just, I'm it's by no hard. means a shot doctor, but the biggest thing that I would say he needs is to become more still. You know, remove a lot of the moving parts that are there because that's when under pressure or with less time, that's what's going to let him down in the NBA because there are, there's like literally all of his limbs are moving in all kinds of directions in his shooting motion. It needs to be more compact, more repeatable. And he seems to have a good feel from that distance. So I don't think that's impossible for him to improve in that regard. But I, I think he's a guy you're going to bring in as a, fifth fourth fifth player off your bench if he pans out and he's gonna make good plays and help you compete and be successful on both ends of the floor without being the driving player doing all of that himself and that might be bad value for a 17th overall pick i think that could be an issue that books fans will have with that just a hunch jordan that might be an issue but I think that is the route to him being a valuable player who can really give you something and be a solid bench forward. I don't even want to call him a big because his height and his skills are two very different things. And I, I think that's not saying he's a small forward. I think he's just, he is a four. I don't think there's, there's no other position for him. He is a power forward. Do you see any of what I'm saying there from my weird Boris Dio comparison to everything? I think it's just to look for one specific thing and say, this is what he should do. Does it a service to that? He's actually kind of intriguingly good at a lot of different things. It's just about him putting all of that together and being consistent enough that he can do all of those little things night to night to make an impact. Because at the moment, if that didn't click into place, he doesn't just have one thing he can rely on to get him opportunity. Yeah, I don't think it's just consistency. I think it's confidence. I think a lot of the plays that we've seen and maybe some of the his more passive moments is that he's constantly kind of in between two minds of doing taking this play one way or taking it the other way where maybe, you know, putting up shots. Because there was, I mean, a spe uh, specifically Monday night, he was a little more hesitant with uh, shooting the ball than I've seen him 
you know, previously in, you know, the rare amount of times I've seen him play. Um, but yeah, I do agree with you that, I mean, he, if you look at, again, I, I constantly bring this up just because again, we just don't have that much to go on DJ. Um, but if you really think about it, like the Boris Diak comparison is kind of an interesting one, just because Wilson, obviously different body type, but Wilson was not, he was more of a, a pure wing than a, a forward going, you know, growing up. And then he hit a growth spurt and then kind of was packaged in a, a much different way there than how he previously played when he was at Michigan. And then especially last year, I think they were trying to, you know, talk about, you know, the, all of his physical attributes, his length. And obviously I think even summerly we saw him play a small little center and we've seen it this year too, but it just hasn't like all that natural for him. Obviously I think a lot of it is just because he is such a funky, quirky player that everything doesn't look, incredibly natural even some of his movements don't look very natural no no um, everything about him is just a little weird <laughs> yeah it's just, just like a just little the right amount just the right amount of weird if you can bring his development on well enough that he becomes an incredibly effective player because other teams won't know how to play him and your yeah. lineups with him could be really really unusual and potent but it's about yeah getting the confidence building the confidence up for him and bringing him to a point where he can do all of that with regularity. Like, I, I think at the moment, I'm I'm quite impressed by how he looks in terms of how broad his shoulders look. I feel he looks a lot more kind of solid than he was, but he does still have a slim lower base, and that's not for looking like he hasn't been putting work into, say, building up his legs or anything like that. It's just I think he is going to have that kind of shape, that kind of frame, and that does take away putting him at the five, even in small ball lineups, because he doesn't he doesn't have even uh he just there's something asymmetrical about the way his frame looks. And it's kind of it's not in a way where say Yanis now center is by no means ideal for Yanis, and we've talked about this a lot as much as everyone dreams of Yanis at the five. It hasn't been all that good, and I don't know if it ever will be. But Yanis can physically hold his own with most guys there with the way his frame is now. Mm -hmm. I don't know if DJ can get to that point. Even if he does, I mean, what was last year? Yanis' fifth year in the league? So even at that, if it's taking that long for him to get to that point, you know, that is pretty pretty challenging and it's something that could take some time. But I, I do think as a forward, as a power forward, there is something there to be mined in DJ Wilson. I'm not saying he's like definitely a good player. Very far from that. I'm not saying he's going to figure it all out. But there, there is something there. I don't think it should be the kind of lost hope case that I think most fans have really kind of pegged him with early on. Like for me, and <laughs> you will certainly verify this, I was out on Rashad Vaughn from day one. I just thought yeah. Rashad Vaughn was just the biggest waste of all of our time. And... I don't get that same feeling with DJ Wilson's game. I I think there is something there that is worth trying to figure out that could be really valuable and interesting if you can get him to that point. Now, you've got to work on that. Again, if that means lengthy assignments to Herd where he gets consistent opportunity to work on whatever it is you want him to build his game around, well, it has to be that. But I, I do think there is something there worth exploring. It doesn't mean he was the right pick. It doesn't mean he's going to give you the value you wanted to get. But like every move, free agency moves, draft picks, once they're made, they're made. We've got to 
just get over it and move on. And they've now got to make something out of him. He is their player, not someone picked after him. So it doesn't matter if he was the wrong pick. He is the pick. It's the same with Dante DiVincenzo now. It's the same with any free agent signing they've ever made. It's the same, oh, they've overpaid Tony Snell. It's a, Well, they now have Tony Snell. They've got to make the most out of him. You know, that's... I, I think there's a real there's a real habit of leaning into, you know, oh, well, they made the mistakes and the mistakes and the, everything is about the mistakes. It's like every team makes mistakes. A lot of the better teams, though, figure out how to make the most out of them. And making the most out of them can be how you move off a bad contract. Or if it's a draft pick and it's a player you feel isn't going to be what you wanted them to be, maybe you can get out of the play good enough that you can flip them for another prospect or another draft pick that's interesting. The problem becomes if you just give up and don't get into any of it. You know, I think the books have to really, they have to trust in DJ Wilson and give him some meaningful looks. I think the interesting thing here, we talked before Summer League in our preview podcast, pretty about Sterling. We wondered how long he would be in Vegas playing. It kind of feels like him and DJ will be there for the entirety of their Summer League run. And I think that's probably the right thing to do. I don't think it will do them any harm to get just a meaningful chance to do things. And particularly with their new staff, who obviously have goals for what they want to do, guide them through it. You know, give them chances in-game to show, oh, this is what we want you to do. Moving on from those two guys, um, briefly, let's touch on Dante, and then we'll just mention anyone who's a little bit intriguing, even from the the non-core roster guys at the moment. Dante still hasn't played... Um, every time he talks, he says, like, oh, I'm right there, you know, it's just about getting it right. Uh, I don't know. I don't feel like he's going to play. Um, Muscle injury, don't force it. I mean, he's playing pretty competitive 5-5 five and five from what we hear now. Um, he's all the way there. I don't know. It doesn't, honestly, it doesn't, you've got you've to be so safe. After when the tournament opens, here comes DiVincenzo. You gotta be, you gotta play it safe because yeah, you don't want to. If you really feel there is a me- meaningful risk, a significant risk, sure, the the worst thing you could possibly do would be rushing back to get injured in summer league and then miss the time. Say coming into the season, into training camp, starting slow in your rookie season, that's a great way to set someone up to fail. So in that regard, I think yeah, you want to be careful. Um, I also think missing Summer League completely wouldn't be a great start for him. I don't I don't think that would fill me with the greatest encouragement if he didn't get a chance to just kind of get the feel for I'm here, get his legs under him now in the summer, focus on what he needs to improve on, just get a sense even against some NBA caliber players, not all NBA caliber players, but high level pros at least, or guys who are going to be pros around the world get a sense of where he's at, what he needs to work on. I think all of that is beneficial, even if it's just a game or two. So it will be interesting to see, but it does feel increasingly like they may just say, yeah, you can play in October, Dante, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I I don't know. Who knows? It would be nice. It would be nice to see him play if he's healthy, obviously. Yeah. Um, Kind of, if someone had have told me a week ago, that there was a possibility we're going to have summer league where I didn't get to watch the new player that you normally watch summer league for. I would have been, I would have been even more down on summer league than I was. So it'd be nice just for the excitement, just for something new and shiny. Um, if he could get a, 
a game or two in there at the least. Outside of those three guys we've now touched on, the guys who are on the books roster going into next season. What have you made of the rest of them? I mean, Christian Wood is obviously the first guy we're going to talk about, but alongside Christian Wood, who is there? Who has impressed you or intrigued you in any way that maybe the herd should look at? Maybe the books could bring into training camp as a warm body. You know, what is it that, what is it or who is it that's standing out to you? Um, Jordan Barnett is interesting. Certainly had a, a heat check or heat, is heat check a bad thing? Heat check, mean, it depends if, if you make or miss it. Well, that's the thing is that you get to a point where it becomes a heat check, but when you miss the heat check, it's a bad thing. I don't know. But he had a good, good, uh, good game from, uh, long distance Sunday, but just, you know, consistently it just hasn't been there, but he, there are moments I've, enjoyed him uh it's been tough to see james blackman struggle this uh in summer league and sorry my my fandom for him um, i think he's looked good without the shot falling though he's had he's got well, he had the, the one right. he had the one play where uh what's his name dennis smith jr uh he he <laughs> pickpocketed him um and uh, kind of jawed with him afterwards after sending him. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that's his game, though. I don't think no. he should have been in that position. But I think generally, like he has got himself free and worked to get quality shots, and he just hasn't made them. I, I, I felt like there's a really good James Blackman game right around the corner. It was that Mavs game that he actually started well, wasn't it? And then he just went yeah. ice cold, uh, yeah. which is unfortunate. I mean. Barnett's shooting nearly 39% from deep, and that was having started 0 for 4, I want to say, in the Pistons game. So there's something intriguing about him as a shooter, for sure. Yeah. Um, Travis Trice, capable scorer. Um, Sunday was really, really, uh, you know, I think outside of Monday, he's been having a good good summer league. Um, TJ Klein's kind of interesting. I'm not, you know, we talked about him before in the preview he's under contract from what i remember uh for next year but he's kind of that a, a very interesting um pseudo big man smallish big man but he he kind of has a, a natural feel from the for the game that uh is evident from what i've you know briefly seen of him but other than that i mean a lot of it is just you know we've seen other players brandon mccoy hasn't been featured all that much how's it got minutes played a little the first game and was probably a victim of Christian Wood just being so dominant. And then obviously yeah. DJ has to get minutes. Um that that really kind of hurt him. I don't I don't know. There's obviously and nothing's gonna come out of that would be my guess at this point if he's not getting minutes. Travis Trice is for me what you used to dream Tyler Ennis could have been. <laughs> I think that's <laughs> that's what when you used to go on and on and on about Tyler Ennis. You know Tennis, um, anyone that's kind of what Travis Trice is. Is Christian Wood good enough, showing anything enough that you are really motivated to find a way to keep him around longer term? This is still a discussion for a lot of people. I mean, certainly as a two-way guy, I, I'm, I'm more impressed with him than, you know, no offense, Marshall Plumley. But is um, he? How much better is he than Marshall Plumley? Well, I think he's certainly more skilled. Um, certainly has better size and, uh, you know, Marshall Plumlee is a very limited player and he fills his role uh, 
well. Uh, I just don't know what beyond. I mean, if you're looking for, you know, I'm sure a lot of fans, probably all fans, <laughs> have no expectations for two A players, and I don't, you know, blame them for having that expectations. But if you are again with when injury strikes and you are in a pinch that you have to go uh, to your two A players to maybe fill some role or for, fill some minutes, that's where you kind of want to see more than just kind of a very limited role playing center. Um, and maybe Christian Wood is that, but um, you know, just he had. There's just more there to me, at least. Uh, that he can kind of maybe add a little bit more than just a couple um, key qualities. But is he better as far as like is he NBA Ross boy? Because really, the Plumley thing only came about because of the way they had to manage days. Remember, so yeah. like otherwise, it would probably be Ballin boy in that spot still. And I don't know if he is. I, like, there's probably more of a similarity because Ballenboy is skilled in some ways. Wood has has size and athleticism on his on Plus his side. Boy, the biggest difference is the strength. Like Ballenboy is just like a he was like a truck. <laughs> like he was like he was built and like Christian Wood is just so long, and it just takes a lot of. Uh, he just has. He's just. He has limbs everywhere. He's like a was sequoia. It, uh... Was it the Rockets or the Timberwolves? Who? What was the game Bomb Boy played for the Bucks? Where he the actually Suns. was it the Suns? It was I that. Thought... It was that incredibly. It was the night before Thanksgiving. It was like a over, double he, overtime game. I thought he had. It was against a better team than that. I really did. Um, I thought he had a good game for the Bucks against a better team. Well, let me check this. But I, he did actually. <laughs> It's pretty grim, and it says, I think, a lot of just how the books didn't give their two-way guys a chance or utilize them correctly. Are you talking about the Pelicans, too? It was the Pelicans game. Yeah. It was the Pelicans game, um, where he only played seven minutes, but he came in, he had four points, two rebounds, and obviously, that was that was pre-Boogie's injury. He choked up. <laughs> I did, just the memory of it. Um, that was pre-Boogie's injury, so the books were yeah. really, I think... Did Boogie have a triple double that night? Mm-hmm. And Anthony Davis was great too. It was a close game. I think the Bucks let it get away in the last minute or so, and they lost. But at the time, they had no answers for Demarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis. And Joe Pollenboy came in and was about as solid as any other big. And then he didn't play for the Bucks ever again. <laughs> Which I mean, that just that's, that sounds about right. But. <laughs> I, I do like Wood. I think Wood is young enough that there's still something interesting, but I do think it's at such a marginal level that I can't get passionate about it in any way. No. Um, like, particularly now that they signed Brook Lopez. I mean, there's there's not... They now have four centers currently without any small ball possibilities on their roster who are better options than Christian Wood. Yep. He might be worth it on a two-way because he's still young and he's a guy I think who does have potential. Has used a service available too. Maybe worth a look on the two-way, but I don't know. Like that Plumley element is particularly interesting because Plumley really did get that deal almost by default because Ball and Boy was in the Gary Payton two school of you know having all of his days used up by being with the books. Training with the books and locking DM DMPs. Um, so DM patents. That's nearly what came out there. I don't know. I don't know how, but that, maybe you could change the name. Um, 
<laughs> I think that's all we've got, Jordan. Uh, I wish we could dive in and examine the high-stakes matchup that lies ahead for the books in the first round of the tournament, but we don't have that luxury at this time. I will. Uh, can I add one more note? You're going to, so why not? Okay. You were right, because I was going to say it regardless of your talking or not anyway um i have been scouring other summer league rosters this is more of a herd note than anything just to see just to see like oh maybe who are the herd players that they didn't bring in for the bucks the only person i see on another summer league roster is cliff alexander oh i uh, didn't know that who's yeah who's he playing, with? He played for new orleans oh team, i, I mean, believe he played for he played for the pelicans yeah so hmm. That's I thought that was a little interesting, um, but as far as past heard or current uh, heard players, the only person I could find is Cliff Alexander at this point. Cliff has actually, I don't remember this. Do you remember Cliff Alexander signing a deal overseas in March? Was that just after the season well, ended? Season-ending injury, maybe that was. Yeah. He, he signed a deal. Um signed a deal in France with Asvel Basquet. Polyvous Francais. Who are in Lyon. Hmm. I don't that maybe maybe we're not gonna have Cliff Alexander back next year. Um uh, he's someone actually who just you bring him up like uh, most book fans probably aren't familiar with him and the injury obviously you take away from his herd time, but he's someone I'd be almost as interested in having on a two-way as Christian would. Funnily enough, there's a lot of similarities in, you know, maybe some of the things that have held them back too. Yep. Um, and, uh, Cliff Alexander can flat out score. I mean, really impressive. Some of the, the outbursts he had with the herd were really, really impressive. But yeah, that's interesting. I didn't, I didn't know he was with the Pelicans. But then I've been doing everything I can to avoid summer league games that weren't books games. So yeah, there. you learn something new every day, Jordan. We will learn very soon who the books will play. I saw what you did there. <laughs> I have to find a way to get out of it. Um, <laughs> we'll learn GM very Payton. soon who the books will play. Hopefully. They will win that game. They'll continue going in the tournament. And then maybe I'll be able to muster the excitement that Jordan and I come back for another Summer League pod before they're finished. More than a wrap-up Summer League pod. No Summer League sadness pod. Um, but we shall see. We'll see what happens. And, of course, there is still the possibility of more news bringing us back very soon. Anyway, Jabari's future still hangs in the balance. While they may just decide to sign someone else and see does he ever get the message, which is kind of you know, how the offseason has gone so far. So if any of that happens, we'll be back to talk about it. In the meantime, you can check out all of our writing on Summer League, on everything else, books related, on free agency, all of that stuff on BehindTheBookPass.com. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, follow us on SoundCloud, Addison Stitcher and favorites and tune in radio to make sure you never miss an episode of Win at Six. Also, if, if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, I, I don't ask for this very often. I probably should do it more often, but help more people find us. If you enjoy listening to us, help more people find us. Go give us a five star rating, give us a kind review. I mean, if, if you don't want to help more people find us or you're not going to give us a kind review, just ignore this 
part of it. But <laughs> if you've got something good to say, please give us a review on iTunes. It helps us move up in the standings a little bit from the very, very bottom of like the the dusty bins on the or back the end of Titanic iTunes. In the, the sea of podcasts. <laughs> Right, we could just move a little bit up, make it a little bit easier. Maybe some scraps of Win and Six could float to the surface for some people to find. Or James Cameron. Who's our James Cameron? You could be our James Cameron. <laughs> Until the next time, whenever that may be, thanks as always for listening. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you.